Welcome to Jurassic World. Welcome to Jurassic World Minute Movie. This is Jurassic World One Minute Time. I'm Brad. I'm Dave. And here we are, back to discuss Minute 34 of Jurassic World. Before we get to that, David, uh, Camp Cretaceous has been out just over a week now. Um, last minute we talked about Bumpy, and now we're going to talk about some of the other you know, actors or characters. A lot of the main cast, Sammy, uh, Ben, uh, Darius, they've all had articles put up at Jurassic-Pedia.com, uh, Sickle Claw, Trinosaur TJ, and a lot of the other uh, contributors as well, uh, yourself, have been uh, busy at work getting mm-hmm. all these uh, all these character bios up. Yep. Uh, like Character bios were one of the first things we got up for the series on dress, uh, from Camp Cretaceous on to Jurassicpedia. So when, we, when the show eventually dropped, pretty much all we had to do was go into these articles and start just adding synopsises, you know? Yep. And so that's what we've basically been doing for most of the past weekend that it came out, is just getting in there, adding synopsises for the characters, extending their bios, adding episode synopsises. So pretty much everything that Camp that has aired with Camp Cretaceous is being getting, or gotten out in the zeitgeist of the moment, so we're still fresh. It is. It's handy too having a small cast like this. It's mm-hmm. a lot easier to get this sort of stuff up. True. Yeah, and there's been relatively little kind of surprise character introductions, so it's not really any. It's not really something where we have to kind of rush to add in new characters because, like you said, the cast itself has been relatively low. We get like woo for a couple minutes. We get name drops. Of characters who are out there, but pretty much it's a very self-contained cast. Mm. Yeah, just reading the Darius one here, I'd, I'd love his bedroom, <laughs> just the, the way it's all set <laughs> I up. Do. Yeah. It, like I said in the last minute, Darius is all of us who every every kid who ever grew up loving dinosaurs. So he's, of course, like me. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not sure about you, but I definitely had a Velociraptor, or I'm sorry, Denonicus. Killer Claw necklace. <laughs> He's got a Velociraptor tooth necklace. Uh, I had dinosaur Aww. posters. He's got dinosaur posters. I had dinosaur models. He's got dinosaur models. I played dinosaur games. He's got dinosaur games. It's He's every kid who ever grew up in the Jurassic 90s, you know? 
I do have one of those sickle claws necklaces somewhere. <laughs> See? What did I tell you? Oh, where? It might be in with me Jurassic Park stuff. It's only a um a plastic uh, poorly um uh, not faded. What do you call sort of uh, weathered texture added to it? eBay special, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. <laughs> Which is funny you actually mention what the bedrooms look like. I found a photo the other day of my old, um, oh, not study, but desk and sort of stuff when I was back in high school, and there sitting on the shelves is uh, a couple of Lost World movie cups from the cinemas and um, a little clay model of the ruined visitor centre, which I thought would see in the sequel, and we didn't go back to Nublar, of course, but <laughs> a lot of uh, stuff at the time. Just a snapshot mm-hmm. of 96, 97 when... I've got a photo of me from somewhere where I'm, uh, I think, heading... I'm in, like, sophomore year of high school, and I'm, I've got a Velociraptor claw necklace <laughs> around my neck. <laughs> well, that was one of the things in noise. Everyone had the shark tooth or something like that, but no, we had the, uh, we had the claw. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, off topic. <laughs> Head over to uh, Jurassic-Pedia.com for a uh, write-up on the uh, the whole uh, Camp Cretaceous crowd. Uh, he's going to do a a full write-up and add to the Nublar post, or have you thought about what's going to happen with that? Um, I'm not sure at the moment. Our uh, contributor, Trodon Formosus, kind of handles the Nublar extension stuff. Mm-hmm. I did just see that, like, um, just now we've extended the, as I'm speaking, <laughs> we've just extended the uh, Camp Cretaceous article that went up on July 29th, so now that's got a full series synopsis plus character list, dinosaur list, and episode list. Oh, nice. Yep. yep. Well, head over, yeah, check that out on dress-pedia.com and um, I'm sure any uh, any other alterations that happen over the next week or so, they'll be uh, they'll pop up there as well. Mm-hmm. Are you still building? We planned to open in May, but NASA Containment insisted we build the walls up higher. It's bigger than expected. David, ready to get into minute 34? Yeah. As we in minute 33 of Jurassic World, Owen and Claire had arrived at the Indominus Paddock. After some back and forth, Claire had mentioned the dinosaur's name, the Indominus Rex. As we open on minute 34, Owen laughs. <laughs> the Indominus Rex. Claire tells Owen that we need something scary and easy to pronounce. And that you should hear a kid say a dinosaur name I'm not even going to try and butcher here. At the 11 second mark, we cut back inside the Indominus pen, looking at the observation windows as Claire walks into the room and over to that pedestal to start fiddling with the screen once again. At the 17 second mark, Owen asks Claire... So what's this thing made of? Claire tells him the base genome is T-Rex, the rest is... classified. Owen jokes, you made a new dinosaur you don't even know what it is? But Claire counters, the lab gives us assets and we put them on display in the park. At the 30 second mark, Claire asks the guard on duty to drop a steer. At the 42 second mark, a side of beef begins to lower into the enclosure. Owen asks, you feed it with that? Claire responds, 
Is there a problem? As minute ends, Owen tells Claire that the raptors grew up with siblings and they learnt social skills along the way. And this ends minute 34 of Jurassic World. Going straight into minute 34 after 33 and Owen started to laugh and here he's continuing at laughing and mockingly says the Indominus Rex, which I always <laughs> loved. Um, we know from early on it was going to be the Diabolus, Diabolus, mm-hmm. Diabolical, <laughs> whatever it was, yes. Rex, um, and they had... Yes, it, yeah, it was the Diabolus Rex. Yeah. I don't, well, being a made-up dinosaur, I don't really mind even name. Um, again, this would be focus group created, so... Well, I do remember, I always kind of felt like that was something of a inside joke where he's laughing at the name because there's the whole naming snafu when the uh, when it was being made. First it was the Diabolus Rex, and then that ch- name got changed to Indominus Rex, and I remember the fans were kind of split on whether or not they liked the new name, so it was, it's like... Okay, focus groups. Uh, we have a Satanist named Diabolus Rex. Where's the new name going to be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, all that argument happened from the trailers before the film even came out, just mm-hmm. because of uh, just because of that shot of the set from Real Tours. But I think where where it goes too far is when you go, no, we're going to call the Indoraptor, <laughs> the Indoraptor. I think that's where it goes a little bit too far. Although you, I suppose you're keeping that family name in Dominus with the uh, the hybrid that we see in the film anyway. Mm-hmm. But uh, Claire adds some little backstory here. We need something scary and easy to pronounce. And then uh, you should hear a four-year-old say uh, that dinosaur name, which I'm not going to try <laughs> to pronounce. Do you reckon you could throw it, spit it out? Or the Archaeoornithomimus? There you go. That'll do. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Oh, I wasn't even going to try. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we get a little on here. You should hear you say it. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, it goes. It reminds me again of that scene for that scene from the novel where um, Grant does like a quick flashback to a museum, thinking about how thinking about admiring children being able to say complex latin-based taxonomy mm-hmm. and it's funny because they just do i mean their brains are a sponge they just regurgitate anything and everything they hear yeah you know and they have no problem saying it because they understand that basic grasp of pronunciation and they just take it from there you know mm. i mean yeah with like a four-year-old you're gonna get some kind of rolling the r's <laughs> there he's gonna be come out more like Archaeoornithomimus, but I mean, it's still got that general gist there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it just sort of again mirrors what we've seen earlier with her telling the execs that um, kids see a dinosaur now like they do an elephant at the zoo. It just, you're trying to um, tell us things here where it's not so much the case. Yeah. But I think, too, the uh, the sign for the uh, for that animal would be a lot longer than if you just had uh, Indominus Rex on the stadium. <laughs> Archaeoornithomimus. Though I think technically the longest one is Pachyrhino... Uh, what is it? Pachyrhinosaurus. Uh, is the, technically the longest dinosaur name. 
There's another Pachyrhinoceratops. Uh, or the, no, yeah, this I'm sorry, Pachyrhinoceratops. Uh, it's just so long I can't remember the whole thing. <laughs> well, I suppose that's that's the the common name too, not the um the scientific name where you'd have probably another another name on the end of that as well. As you know, I'm wrong. It's actually Micropachycephalosaurus. Oh. <laughs> 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 still equally the uh still uh is pretty complex. Yeah. Yep. But even even in pronouncing it it's just act, uh, adding um sort of different different species names we already have together. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, at the same time, there's some of those dinosaur names that come out of, like, China, where it's <laughs> mixing Latin with Chinese and, like, just, oh, God, it's, they're hard enough. <laughs> it's actually going to throw Chinese into the mix. Yeah, then translating. <laughs> yeah. Tyrannosaurus Rex. It just, it's so easy. Velociraptor. <laughs> easy ones. As they walk through the uh, the door to the observation room, uh, you can see two of the workmen on that beam before when Masrani was there. They were working and welding, and now they're sitting down, presumably eating lunch high off the ground. And uh, again, as I said before, that uh, that crane sitting over there folded away, not in use mm-hmm. uh, for feeding, which I thought was going to be a flood, but no, because we uh, get inside the, the uh, observation room, we get sort of one of those long shots again from out the pen, looking in as Claire once again approaches that podium with the screen on it. She must just love going over there and pushing buttons because <laughs> whenever she's walked into this room, that's the first thing she does. I think being administratively minded, I mean, the first thing she's going to do is check the screens for, um, basically check the screens for a status update, even though there probably really shouldn't be one. Yeah, you know? yep. And uh, as Owen joins her, he goes, uh, so what is this thing made of? Um, that's when we cut inside the room. Claire answers. Don't ask. Uh, <laughs> basically, the base genome is a T-Rex. The rest is classified. And sort of acting a bit cagey and plays off her hair here for a moment as well, which kind kind of weird. But um, I wonder if, if she's just been told classified and doesn't know herself. Uh, not to go too far ahead and what is actually in it, um, although we did talk about that with the Pedia article when she was first seen, but um, I just wonder how general knowledge to some staff, uh, what that base genome or what the what it's actually made up of. I don't think so, because it makes it sound like here that the only two people who are actually genuinely aware of what it's made of and what ulterior motives it could possibly be used for is Hoskins and Wu. And so Wu seems to be tight-lipped about everything about his creations. He's like super anti-corporate uh, espionage, though, to be fair with Nedry, I could kind of understand why. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, he's the only two people on the entire island that seem to be fully aware of everything that has gone into this thing seems to be Wu and Hoskins. Oh, I'm going to keep an eye on this later, because I don't know if Hoskins does know. I would have thought it'd be Wu and Masrani, even though Masrani's sort of oblivious to what was actually done. Wu pretty much says that um, Masrani approved all of this. 
I think he approved the creation, but I don't think Wu gave up the details. Yeah. Because when um, Masrani asked Wu to turn over the keys to his office, Wu, Wu was basically like, you know, I'm not a, I'm not allowed to say. Mm. I think the word, the word he says, I'm not at liberty to divulge my secrets or something like that. I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You realize you're talking to the guy whose name is on your paycheck, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's one thing to discuss about the the way Wu's portrayed in Camp Cretaceous 2. <laughs> Jim, mm-hmm. boy, oh. um, I, I, I do recall now that uh, later on when we do get uh, Hoskins and that in the lab and we see the Indominus on the screen, he does start talking about this is the future or something. Well, that and the first thing he says when it escapes is they're going to learn all sorts of things about their new asset now, implying he had a kind of backdoor uh, hand in its creation. He was looking for a military application, and we see throughout the movie him and Wu conversing, you know? Yeah, and it's probably not overly clear, but Wu is, and the labs are still in-gen run, not Maserati. Mm-hmm. Even though Maserati is a parent company, so really we would be answering, well, we wouldn't be answering the Hoskins, but Wu and Hoskins talking amongst themselves would, would probably be happening a fair bit. Then we get again the line from uh, Owen, you made a new dinosaur, but you don't even know what it is. And Claire says, the lab delivers us finished assets and we show them to the public. And then sort of awkwardly, almost trying to change the subject, yells to the the guard sitting at the desk, uh, can we drop a steer, please? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just trying to change the subject. It seems like it. Owen's sort of digging something she doesn't want to talk about. Well, I think because she doesn't know, she doesn't, I mean, she admits that they don't, she kind of admits that she doesn't want to know, but she doesn't want to actually say she doesn't know, you know? Yeah. So she doesn't want to admit that basically all she did was slap her name on the on the approval cosigner or whatever she did to get this thing made, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And by her saying that the lab just finishes well makes animals and hands them to us is sort of mm-hmm. it's a lab's lab's issue, not mine. Um, I don't ask what they are, they just give me give them to me to show to the public. Exactly, yeah. I mean she's basically in charge with she's basically a glorified marketing uh, department, you know? She hurts her job to get Verizon Wireless to to throw in some cash for the Indominus Rex. Yeah, her title is Park Operations, isn't it? Head of Park Operations. It is, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that wouldn't maybe. But at involve... the same time, it seems that among those duties is basically overseeing marketing. Mm. Yeah, and while she may um may have uh suggestions or something about uh, visitors interacting with the labs, I don't think she'd have much say in what actually happens in those labs at all. Mm-hmm. That's, that's Wu's backyard. But the uh, the guard nods and pushes a button, not letting go of the sandwich <laughs> that's in his, in his hand. Uh, it's obviously, he's having his lunch as well. Um, that's when Owen asks, how long has the animal been in here? And Claire replies, all of its life. And Owen continues, it's never seen anything outside these walls. And Claire jokes, we can't exactly walk it. <laughs> that's that's the whole argument with uh, capture animals in captivity. But at the same time, 
it reminds me of those videos that we see, like a gorilla is uh, kept in a, a uh, circus all its life, and the first time it ever feels real grass, it kind of kind of just goes nuts with excitement, just because it's never actually experienced a natural gorilla habitat before. You yeah. know. Yep. Yep. And it's. I was actually. It actually kind of reminds me of. Um, Disney Plus just added the new movie, The One and Only Ivan, which is, I mean, of course, it's a Disney movie, so there's all the animals talk, but it's uh, about the story of Ivan the gorilla, so it's actually based on a true story about this gorilla that grew up in a um, in a roadside mall circus all its life, and he, he basically he. he never knew how to be a gorilla he only knew how to be a showman so it was kind of so once they actually got the funds they kind of crowdfunded uh, or whatever 1980s version of crowdfunding is to move this gorilla to a uh, gorilla habitat in atlanta georgia and so even even after being reintroduced ivan was never really a whole gorilla. He was always kind of like half there. Yep. He had to be taught how to actually be a gorilla, and then he had to be taught. He even then, he never actually, despite being the alpha male gorilla, never actually like mated with any of his females or anything like that. So he was never like fully understanding what it meant to be the alpha gorilla. I've heard something similar about pandas in China and that too, that spend their entire lives in zoos, mm-hmm. losing losing the ability to breed because they just don't. I don't think it passes down instinctively with them or something. Mm-hmm. But it does make me wonder. We go back to Jurassic Park, and I'm going to call out the poorly designed <laughs> pens there, where it's just a massive uh, section of forest with a fence around it and the tour vehicles go past that fence and yes they do have something to try and attract the animals in the novel it's making sounds over loudspeakers and that to try and attract animals to the viewing areas most safari parks i've been to you drive into the paddocks the animals are in and you go up as close as you Mm -hmm. can to them take photos whatever else yes you can't do that for carnivores um owens or claire's going to mention the raptors later and I was going to say, well, yeah, but they're social. But the raptors haven't seen outside that pen either. I, I'm sure we don't see the Carnotaurus and any other carnivores in uh, mm-hmm. in this film either. But surely all the carnivores would be solitary animals because there'd be too much fighting and maybe eating of each other. Well, it's weird because, and a little bit of a spoiler alert for Camp Cretaceous, we do see the Carnotaurus has this kind of large free range back uh back area where he's able to run kind of freely and we don't actually see how big this area is but it is visually much larger than the indominus paddock or the raptor paddock and even so with the raptor paddock we've discussed this a couple minutes ago with the design of the enclosure how basically the enclosure itself has this back area that even though we can't really see it, we know we see the raptors running through it, so we know that they do 
get some kind of interaction with a larger environment than just what that one octagon. Yeah, I suppose. You know? I suppose too. If that that back section, even the the front section with the barred the barred pens and the the head crushes and that, they're still being able to see outside of that enclosure. Where here the Indominus is just concrete walls, 360 degrees all the way around. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, and so that's really all the Indominus gets is this octagonal. Um, kind of small forest area. She doesn't actually get an area where she can run, open up her legs, stretch, uh, and kind of actually freely roam, you know? Mm. And, of course, I mean, even with Isla Nublar, it's a small island, these animals naturally would have had a a uh, territory that would have been up to kind of... Um, like a couple, uh, uh, several square miles at minimum. It's not something, it's not going to be the 22 square miles. It'll be like a hundred square miles. And Rexy herself would have been able to hunt that or the Indominus. If it was an actual animal would have been able to hunt that hundred and five ish square miles. Mm. And they would have been that top apex predator. Of course you got the Raptors coming in and out, but a, uh, island like Isla Nublar is clearly meant to be set up as a like a ge- zoological preserve in Disney World versus a um, actual imitation of a Jurassic environment. Yeah, I don't recall when we see the Carnotaurus in Camp Cretaceous. Do they say that this isn't on the park? I think it's implied that it's not yeah. park. That's not an attraction. It's a, I, I guess they quarantine the uh, the individuals that become too aggressive, uh, from what I could understand what Kenji was saying. So, obviously, Toro was just too aggressive to be in the park, Poss- possibly maybe it was atta- he was attacking other members in his paddock, or it was just trying to smash through the viewing area, but obviously, this animal could not get along, and rather than euthanize them, they moved them to the restrict to some kind of restricted area that uh, they can still be alive, but they just got to be kind of figured out how to be less aggressive or something. I'm not sure what they're doing with them back there. I don't think they make that clear. No. But yeah, they do quarantine individuals that are shown to be too aggressive but presumably uh, they do what they do in zoos where they try to diagnose the problem and then reintroduce that animal once they figured out how to fix it yeah you know yeah and yeah you did mention zoos they, they do have that issue currently mm-hmm. yeah but uh owen points to a side of beef being lowered into the pen and you feed it with that and that's when we see sort of the half steer being lowered into the pen uh, you can see the cable gantry above it much like the mosasaur feeding show it's set up like a flying like that flying fox style but here it's um, obviously controlled dropping this in it it make you wonder how it um the old indominus must have sort of that instinct to hunt because later when she mm-hmm. gets out she does a lot of hunting but here if they're just dropping this beef down whenever to feed her she might be able to stalk it in the enclosure and sneak out on it like a, a kitten chasing a 
red dot on the carpet or something, but it's um, here you're just dropping this unmoving dead piece of meat in for her to eat. Indominus doesn't want to be fed. She wants to hunt. <laughs> Can't just suppress 65 million years of gut instinct. Well, we, we glossed over the fact that her base genome is the T-Rex. Um, mm-hmm. I can't recall if... No, we only see this when she's fully grown, she's going to be bigger than the T-Rex. So Here we have... Um, I'm guessing the, the base genome T-Rex is more so just for the size, the large, mm-hmm. large theropod predator. Um, yeah, and then, of course, the Therizinosaur in her gives us the claws. The Abelosaur in her gives us the scale, the big bumpy scales. The Raptor gives her the intelligence. And, jeez, I can't remember what else the hell they got in there besides <laughs> the uh, frog and the cuttlefish. Yeah, well, the cuttlefish was accelerated oh, healing or something. Yeah, that's right. The Pit Viper uh, lets her... Uh, track thermal imagery um, and the of course the cephalopod DNA gives her the uh, ability to camouflage and the tree frog or the tree tree frog gives her the ability to hide from thermal imagery or something like that because they it was introduced according to Wu to um, help her bring her more stable stabilized to a tropical environment. Mm. Though I don't see why they would technically need that dinosaurs lived in a tropical environment in the first place. So again, there's some kind of uh, there's some kind of thing, uh, funny business going on with Wu here. Yeah, yeah, that's funny that you're making a more adaptable to a tropical environment. Yet you've got the mosasaur in water that probably doesn't resemble what the water quality was like <laughs> millions of years ago or even the oxygen level i think people talked about that a lot as well just mm-hmm. bringing these animals back into our world where uh the oxygen may not be as thick in the atmosphere or um or the vice versa exactly yeah but i mean and dinosaurs existed at a time where the humidity and the general atmosphere of the earth was far more tropical yeah so it's not really an adaptive thing they have to be used to. It's like you said that they do in the not where they mention in the novel how the um, the oxygen in the air, the actual composition of nitrogen, oxygen, and other gases in our atmosphere is different than it was 126 million years ago, and they can't really adapt to that. Mm. It might also uh, lean into why Costa Rica was picked, mm-hmm. which is another discussion in itself that we still need to get to. But it um, it ticked most boxes for being the tropical, the humidity, everything they needed. Obviously, in film, they'd already hatched animals beforehand and were sort of researching in Lockwood's estate with what they'd need to mm-hmm. do to uh, bring them full term. But um, but here, uh, Clay, Clay, Clay. Claire shakes her head and asks, is there a problem? And Alan begins another expedition dump. Exposition dump. Uh, animals raised in isolation aren't always the most functional, which we brought up before with the zoos. And that's where Claire counters your raptors were born in captivity. And as the minute, own, as the minute ends, Owen explains, with siblings, they learn social skills, and I imprint on them when they're born. Exactly, yeah. So, as we've been discussing with... Um the raptor iris program 
the animal, the raptors are kind of imprint on Owen, so it becomes a relationship. He becomes part of their pack. Whereas with the Indominus, it's basically been growing, it kind of stuck in this pen and left to fend on its own. That's why it formed such aggressive tendencies, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. It kind of reminds me of the concept from the second novel, which we brought up a couple times where the raptors are just kind of devolve into this chaotic kind of mishmash, barely a pack, where it's a free-for-all. They have a pack-hunting instinct, but it's still a free-for-all because they don't understand the social skills that they are meant to instinctually have. So it just becomes this every raptor for themselves mentality. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we get with the Indominus. So it becomes she understands having other dinosaurs instinctually because of the raptor DNA in her, but she doesn't really understand what it means to be in a pack. You know, it, she doesn't understand what it means to have a, have an interest in something other than herself. Mm. Yeah. And this is probably totally the other way, but um, we've got a, how can I say this in American? We've got a small ranch up in the forest, <laughs> um, sort of in the middle of nowhere. And when um, the cows have calves and they're up there, if, if we're not there uh, for some time afterwards, um, they sort of, without that human interaction, they, they get a bit wild and rowdy and um, aren't the best to try and round up as much as uh, the dairy cattle are here, where you're with them pretty much the moment they're born, uh, feeding them and everything else. And they'll follow you around the paddock, they'll follow you <laughs> down the road, they'll they'll be near you because, uh, again, you've those social skills, um, being with other animals and uh, being with humans. Mm-hmm. Which which sort of leads to, like you're saying, after the raptors, like all, those, all the animals on sauna being without human interaction for so long just are so ferocious when they all suddenly get thrown back in the mix together. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of, I imprint them on when they're born, it's a little bit of a callback to uh, Hammond wanting to be with every animal born on the island, helps them to trust him. Um, yeah, I was thinking that as well. That's definitely a call. Yeah, whether it's meant to be or not, um, it definitely it's somewhere where you go. Um, although, we didn't see Hammond stand in front of those pack of raptors and say stop. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't think he'd named them either. No, but again, that's because of the way they were raised. He kind of saw them as assets. The whole been here for every living thing's birth was kind of a marketing line. It wasn't. He wasn't literally there for every animal's birth. There's no feasible way he could have been. Mm. Yeah, you just can't run a company like that. No. But at the same time, if given enough kind of interaction... And not just there beyond, and he's there beyond the births, where he actually tries to form that bond with them. And the other thing to remember is as well that besides just sticking, besides Hammond just sticking the raptors in that, in the fence and letting them figure it out on their own, the raptors, those original raptors were not genetically, um, were not genetically rewritten to be more docile mm. to a handler, you know? I mean, they were, they're basically the savage, I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat you, raptor. <laughs> yeah. Which makes me wonder when, uh, 
when Grant shoots a glass and he yells, don't, if that's a, you're shooting, or you're taking away profit, or if, don't harm my animals. Maybe a bit of both. Yeah. But that's, uh, that's been at 34. Dave, uh, over in novel comparisons, all uh, Owen's dialogue is pretty much the same in the movie as what we get in the novel, so nothing new to add to that. Uh, so that's 34. Anything else you want to add before we get heavy for the day? No, I think we're good. All right, lovely. Lovely.